We have been doing a series on the doctrine of God, theology proper, and uh, I've subtitled this, The Incomparable Greatness of God. The psalmist David says in Psalm 145, three, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is inscrutable. And so we have been looking at various aspects of who God is. We've considered already the greatness of God. Um, And then we are looking at the goodness of God. The greatness of God um, is divided up by Millard Erickson in his systematic theology, the greatness of God, speaking of natural attributes of God, things that are true of God and God alone. He is eternal. He is self-existent. He is self-sufficient. He is immutable. And these are things that, that, that we do not have, but he alone has. And then he says that there is then the goodness of God, and these are what he refers to as moral attributes, and they're used in relationship to his creation, his creatures. And Millard Erickson said, the goodness of God may be discovered in all of his relationships with his creatures. It is most effectively demonstrated in his moral attributes. And I want to begin with this attribute of God, and that is his holiness, This is, in the scripture, something that is over and over again emphasized by the writers of scripture, and it really is foundational to all the other attributes of God. In the Bible, the most used adjective with respect to God is the word holy, that he is a holy God. And of course, when we think of the holiness of God, we think of Isaiah 6. So follow as I read here just verses 1 to 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. What an awesome scene we have here that Isaiah experienced in this theophany as God appeared to him. And we find the seraphim here. They are a category of heavenly beings or spirits. And I think they're only mentioned here, but they are crying out three times, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The same words are uttered or similar words are uttered by the living creatures in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 8. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And as we think about this, here we see underscored for us the importance of this attribute of God. There is no other attribute that is repeated like this. We never read love, 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 or grace, 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 but here it is, here and in Revelation, holy, holy, holy. And as we think about this, we also read in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 21 about the singers who were appointed 
to sing in the temple or the tabernacle of the Lord as they would gather together. And they were appointed for this purpose that they should praise the beauty of God's holiness. Praise the beauty of his holiness. We find 26 times just in the book of Isaiah this term, the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel. And this is repeated in one of the ways in Hebrew or in Greek to emphasize something was to repeat it. And so, you know, they, we have our word processing uh, and we, we can underline things, we can highlight things, we can make it bold, or we can do all of those things to emphasize something, to make a point. But in Hebrew here, when you wanted to emphasize something, it was repeated, holy, holy, holy. And we find in Revelation 8, um, verse 13, the fourth trumpet, we find woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Gets your attention. Woe, woe, woe. And so it here is with holy, the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. There's no one like him. Um, And as we think about this attribute, it's related to the other attributes of God. Um, An English Puritan, John Howe, said this, This may be said to be a transcendent attribute that, as it were, runs through all the rest and casts its luster upon them. It is an attribute of attributes. This attribute of the holiness of God, he says, cast its luster upon all of the other attributes of God, and it's, it's an attribute of attributes. And so whenever we talk about the other attributes of God, we could use this to describe it. We can talk about the love of God, the holy love of God. We can talk about God's justice. His justice is holy, or the holy wrath of God. And we could even say the holy grace of God. And as we look at this scene here in Isaiah 6, we feel the magnitude and the weightiness of this vision and this aspect of who God is, that he is the thrice holy God of Israel. And this certainly had an impact upon this man, Isaiah. So just what is holiness? As we think about holiness, I think it can be defined in, in, first of all, just the word itself, The word gadosh is to separate. This is the etymology of the word. It has this idea to separate. That which is set apart is separate from other things. Israel is referred to in Exodus 19.6 as a holy nation set apart unto God. In similar language in 1 Peter 2.9, we are a holy nation, a holy people. We are God's own possession And we are set apart unto him. The word saints is from this root word. And a saint is someone who has been set apart. We saw this morning in 2 John, the elect lady. God had chosen us in Christ before the world began. We have been set apart by the grace of God. And we are saints. Not just some people are saints in the body of Christ. Everyone is a saint. We find this word used in the Old Testament over and over again. We have holy places, the holy place and the holy of holies. These places were set apart. You didn't go there to have your coffee. 
Um, this was set apart unto the worship of the Lord. Um, these were sacred, sacred places. The vessels that were used in the worship of God were holy vessels. So you didn't take these vessels home and cook your beans with them. They were set apart completely, fully to the Lord. And even the incense, the incense that was burned in the tabernacle and later in the temple was a special recipe. And we read in Exodus 30 that you are not to make this recipe and use this in your home. As beautiful as it may have smelled, you did not burn this in your home. It was forbidden. And in fact, if you did this, if you would make this recipe, I don't know how you would get the recipe, but if somehow you would get a hold of this, you would, uh, and, and you would use it, it says you would be cut off from the people. It's a very strong language. So it has this idea of being set apart. How, in, how is God set apart? And I think there's two senses, two facets to God's holiness. First of all, there's his, what we might call his majestic holiness. In our world, we know there are certain people that are maybe of uh, royalty, and we might refer to them. The queen just recently died, and she was always referred to as your majesty, her majesty. And now, of course, it's her son. But uh, there is God who is set apart, and he is unlike any other. He is distinct from all that is. There are two categories. There is the category of creator, and there's only one in that one. And then there's a category of the creation or creatures. That's the one we belong to. And there's this great gulf between the two, creator and creation. And it is God who exists in a class of his own. So there is this majestic holiness that is spoken of as we think about God, his transcendent majesty, his august superiority. And uh, we note in uh, Exodus 15, 11, after God had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, Moses writes a song, and in this song, he speaks about how God has delivered them by his strong arm, brought them through, and uh, he has triumphed gloriously, and the horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea. And then it says this, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? There is no one like you. They had seen some pretty amazing things. Ten plagues in Egypt, slaves leaving and going with the booty that the people had given to them. And then coming through the Red Sea, God's provision for them. And Moses is brought to say there is no one like you, majestic in holiness, set apart. Hannah used this same term when she was able to conceive and have a baby. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. There's no one holy like you. You are set apart. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. Hosea eleven nine. I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. He is the one who is the glory of his people, Israel. So he is set apart. He is unique. He is high. He's exalted. He's the creator, the sustainer, 
the sovereign king of the universe, and he is worthy of worship. So Psalm 99.1 says, The Lord reigns, let the people tremble. The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. He is holy. And what a scene here. In verse 1, it tells us that King Uzziah had died. And we know that at this time in the history of Judah, things are declining uh, in Israel. Things are declining. Dark days are coming. The king has died. Uzziah had done some good things. But how encouraging and helpful to this prophet to realize that his God was still enthroned above. He is sovereign. He is set apart. And he is reigning above. And I'm sure that was a helpful encouragement to this prophet. <clears throat> but it's not, <clears throat> it's not just Isaiah who senses the greatness of this God and the holiness of God. Even heavenly beings that are not sinful, the seraphim, they are the ones who are crying out, holy, holy, holy. In fact, with two of the wings, what do they do? They cover their face in the presence of this God because he is so holy. And there's this antiphonal uh, response going on between these, in, these angelic beings Holy, holy, holy. And then the other would respond, holy, holy, holy. And uh, they are awed again in the presence of the holy God. Even these sinless beings feel their creatureliness in the presence of this God. Sinclair Ferguson said, God's holiness is his godness. It is his being God in all that it means for him to be God. To meet God in his holiness, therefore, is to be altogether overwhelmed by the discovery that he is God and he is not a man. So there is this idea of the majestic holiness of God. He's set apart from all that is. But a second sense in which we could speak about his holiness is his moral holiness. He is set apart from and opposed to all that is impure and defiled. Robert Raymond, in his systematic theology, said, For just as he, as the creator, is transcendently separate from men as creatures, so also he is ethically separate from men as sinners. He is morally pure, infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably so. And with regard to his character, his thoughts, and his actions, everything that he does, everything that he is, is defined by holiness. There's not the slightest taint of evil desire, impure motive, unholy inclination in God. No unrighteousness at all, no unrighteous acts. So God is righteous, and everything that he does is right. And as justice, he always acts justly. As Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Will he not always do what is right? We find this throughout the scripture, Psalm 5, verses 4 to 6. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell, uh, tell lies. 
bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Habakkuk 1.13, the prophet came to say this, your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate what is wrong. 1 John 1.5, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all, no moral defilement at all. So God is unchangeably holy. This sobering vision conveyed the holiness of God and we see something of the glory of God here. When we talk about the glory of God, that word, the Hebrew word, has this idea of heaviness. God's glory is something that is heavy and is weighty when we think about who God is. And as we think about this vision that Isaiah has here, I think that there are things that we can take away from this for ourselves. Because as Isaiah has this experience here, Isaiah's view of God was magnified. Here, as he has this vision, he sees God high and lifted up. And it has magnified for Isaiah who God is, the weightiness of this God. This is a sobering, awesome scene that we find here. And as we think maybe of ourselves and sometimes maybe in our churches, we really have too low a view of God, don't we? I know in my own life often. We can trivialize the God with whom we have to do. We can know a lot about him, but we can have cold hearts. and We can have worship that is apathetic, not really heart-driven, it can be reflected in our worship. It can be reflected in how we live. And it's really revealing that we do not see the Lord in this way in which Isaiah see, sees him here. And how we need to see that, don't we? How we need to see what Isaiah saw here in part, that we need to see him high and lifted up and that he is holy. John Calvin said, Hence that dread and amazement, with which, as Scripture uniformly relates, holy men were struck and overwhelmed whenever they beheld the presence of God. Men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their own insignificance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. And that's the second thing we see that This vision here magnified the beauty and the glory of God. But it also, for Isaiah, it magnified something about himself. And that was his sinfulness. We read in verse 5, after he sees this great vision, So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He has this vision now of himself, his own sinfulness. And he's he's really terrified by this. 
he's profoundly humbled. And uh, any self-righteousness in him is driven away. Woe is me. I'm ruined. I, I'm going to be cut off. I'm undone. I'm doomed to die. We see him, as it were, almost unraveling here at this awesome scene. He's disintegrating, in a sense. When he sees the holiness of God, he's aware of his own sinfulness. I am a man of unclean lips. Jesus said, what comes out of the lips comes from where? Comes out of the heart. One of the first places that our sin is going to manifest itself because it's in our heart is right here on our lips. And this was a prophet of God who spoke the word of God. And yet he says, I am a man of unclean lips. This is where he felt sinfulness, unclean lips. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, Jesus said. You remember Peter when he was in the fishing boat with Jesus. Jesus told him after they had caught no fish to throw out the net. Okay, we'll do it. We've been fishing all night, but we'll go ahead and do it. And they begin to haul in the biggest catch of fish that they've ever had. And what was the response of Peter on that occasion as he realized this one who was in his boat, kind of like Isaiah was seeing. He's seeing something more of the glory of this one that is in the boat. And he falls down before Jesus and he says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. This was the response of this man, Peter, the fisherman. This was the response of Isaiah. And so there is this magnification in the mind and the heart of Isaiah in the presence of God who is holy, that he himself was such a sinner. And he felt that probably more deeply than he ever had before. But we're thankful it doesn't end there. We read in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. So here is now this scene again where we see God's holiness magnified. God is magnified. Isaiah's sin is magnified. But now what is magnified for Isaiah is his view of atonement. Here is this coal that is taken from the fire, from the altar where sacrifices were made for sin and where atonement was made so they could live in relationship with the God of Israel who is holy. And that altar and that coal spoke of cleansing, cleansing for sin. Isaiah feels his guilt and his own helplessness And we realize we can't fix our sin problem, can we? We can't. But it is God who comes through the seraphim, who brings this coal and touches the place where he feels his sin upon his lips, as it were, cauterizes him and cleanses him. And there is this sense of forgiveness and purification and cleansing that comes from God himself. And so as we think about 
the holiness of God, we go to the cross. And it is there that we find atonement for guilty sinners. As we understand the holiness of God, as, as John Howe said, this is a this is an attribute that casts its luster on all the other attributes. And one of those is the grace of God. This is holy grace when we think about the cross, when we think about the salvation that we have come to know. What God did to provide atonement was done in holiness. If you want to see the holiness of God... One of the places that you will see it most clearly is at Calvary. He has made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That's the holiness of God. And through Jesus Christ, he has provided a righteousness that we don't have. and We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so... As we think about this text of scripture tonight, may we, to some degree, have the same response as this man, Isaiah, when we think about our God who is holy, who's high and lifted up and exalted. And we thank the Lord that he is the redeemer and the savior of his people. And he does this in righteousness through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer.